Hi, everyone. I'm Tish Conlon for another episode of Tish Talk. Today, I have an incredible guest, a gentleman I've been following for quite some time, Dr. William Mackis, Bill Mackis. He's an MD. He's a Canadian physician with expertise in radiology, oncology, and immunology. He received the Governor General's Medal, and he was a University of Toronto Scholar. He's also the author of over 100 peer-reviewed medical publications. Many of us who've recently woken up to the level of malevolence going on within um, our medical establishments around the world that have been clearly hijacked um, know Dr. Mackis for his incredible selfless work on the died suddenly phenomena after the COVID jabs and taking the time to honor uh, each person um, who has uh, died suddenly and, you know, these young individuals dying. And he really talks a lot about the uh, the mRNA uh, jabs, the injuries and possible new pandemics that are being cooked up. So lots to tackle today. Welcome, Dr. Marcus. How are you today? Thank you very much for having me. I'm good. Thank oh. you. My pleasure. And, you know, before you started this work, you, you know, you were well-respected in Canada, and people might not know this story if you're willing to, to, to tell what your incredible breakthroughs with um, helping people overcome cancer in Alberta. Certainly. Um, I ran a very large cancer program in Edmonton, Alberta, with targeted radionuclide therapy, uh, using medical isotopes uh, to treat end-stage cancer patients and cure end-stage cancer patients. Uh, now, the way we use these medical isotopes was um, you have uh, sort of radioactive particles uh, or radioactive atoms that are used specifically for treatment in medicine. If you can attach them to a small molecule or small protein that binds receptors on a particular tumor cell, then you can actually direct radiation directly to the tumor and not irradiate healthy tissues. And that's exactly what we were doing. So patients would come in, they would get a you know, small injection of a clear fluid that had the radiation with the targeting molecule. It would deliver the radiation to their tumor and they'd go home an hour later. It was literally an outpatient treatment. You don't have, wow. to, you don't have to stay at the hospital. You don't have to stay at the cancer center. The reactions were minimal to none. Uh, you'd have a few patients have maybe a little bit of nausea. Uh, and then you would give four of these treatments and you could literally cure uh, stage four cancer in a patient that has failed all other treatments have failed chemo, have failed immunotherapy, have failed radiation therapy, external beam radiation therapy. Now, we had developed this uh, with specifically neuroendocrine cancers because those have a specific receptor that you can easily target. Once it was discovered that you could use this treatment for prostate cancers, that's when my program was sabotaged by Rachel Notley's government in Alberta, which was allied with the Trudeau liberal government federally. And I would find out later on, initially, I had no idea why they were sabotaging the cancer treatment because we, we were so successful. Uh, and about two years later, I found out that the Trudeau government was going to pour over $300 million to rebuild that cancer program in Vancouver, in British Columbia, in collaboration with University of British Columbia, UBC, with BC Cancer Agency, with Triumph, which would actually produce the medical isotopes because it's a uh, physics laboratory, the largest one in Canada. And they wanted to monopolize 
these treatments so that they could then uh, basically have private clinics set up alongside the, the public uh, system where, and Vancouver was chosen specifically so that they could target wealthy individuals from India, from China uh, that could fly in, you know, could, could have an easy flight into Vancouver, get their treatments, pay a hundred thousand dollars and then fly back. Wait a second. Are you saying that this then this treatment wouldn't be available to the average Canadian then under the public health care? Well, they would I think they would make it they would probably make it available in very limited numbers. Wow. And so they would say, well, you know, it we're running a clinical trial and we have a few hundred available spots. And so they would make it available to a few hundred people. Of course, you know, you want this available to thousands of people. Yes. Um, you know, that's how we were allowed by Health Canada to run that trial in Alberta is they only allowed us 400 patients. They wouldn't allow us more. And so, you know, even Health Canada, you know, they tried to shut it down, you know, through through kind of silly, you know, loopholes. But they had to because we filled out all the paperwork um, and did everything by the book. So they had to allow it, but for smaller numbers. But the idea was that they would have parallel private clinics set up, they would launder the money through Germany or, or they had a whole elaborate system set up to sort of, because you couldn't, again, people couldn't pay directly, right? Because you can't have sort of private, uh, it would basically be private delivery of healthcare. So they had a whole plan around that. Uh, it was going to be situated in the Innovation Boulevard. Uh, this is a new sort of healthcare, big healthcare hub in um, Surrey, BC, which is basically a suburb of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was this very, you know, elaborate plan. And of course, everything was going to be funded with taxpayer money by the federal it's, government. So the infrastructure was going to be funded by the it, federal government, by the Trudeau government, and they would control the technology. It's so traitorous. Like, I mean, that's the word coming to mind. Like if people, the average person would realize we're funding like life-saving treatments that we won't get. And like, if this is, if that's not traitorous, and then the other thing is, you know, there might be new people joining each time I have a podcast who are just waking up to the level. It's not even the word corruption. It's so much worse than that, is our health agencies do not want us to be healthy. They don't want us to be cured. It's working against something like this new treatment. And you did you patent this yourself, Dr. Mackis? Did they steal the patent? What's the situation like? How no, it, this- it wasn't it wasn't patented. It was um, you know, we had brought the t- technology from Europe, and because we were not able to manufacture the medical isotopes locally. We had to basically import the medical isotopes from Europe. So some of the medical isotopes would actually decay. So we would only get maybe 50% of what we had ordered. But it was still cheap enough. I mean, it was cheaper than chemotherapy. Now, why couldn't you produce them here in Canada? Well, because you need need very large cyclotrons. Uh, So you need a very, very large facility. Now, Mm -hmm. we, we did end up building a big cyclotron in Edmonton. Um, but it was mothballed by the uh, Rachel Notley government and then subsequently by the um, by the Jason Kenney government. And so there is a huge facility uh, in Edmonton on the grounds of University of Alberta. It's a 30 plus million dollar facility cyclotron wow. that, that is really not doing anything. Oh, so that's that's hopeful. Like if we're able to turn this around, we could start. Yes. So it. absolutely. So so there's actually 
I will tell you that there is um, infrastructure, probably about $100 million worth, um, maybe a little bit more, in Alberta, which could make Alberta a global leader in, um, wow. in cutting in cutting edge cancer treatments, uh, diagnostics and cancer treatments using medical isotopes. That infrastructure actually exists in Alberta, but it's either been mothballed or it's been uh, basically limited to just some very minimal research activity uh, because all of that was sabotaged by the Trudeau government because the Trudeau government when they came in, and now my, my cancer program was actually sabotaged about two or three months after Trudeau was elected. So they had this plan. They had these plans. Yes, long uh, time. Uh, connected with the pharmaceutical industry. This was like, they've been yes. working on this for a very long time. Yes. This is not, yeah. this is well, not a short, short-term no, plan. It's not even decades. It's, uh, you know, this the Rockefellers overtook our medical system at the turn of the century. Like this is this is hundreds of years um, in the making. But what, what is interesting... What is interesting is that the the liberal government and friends of the liberal government. Now, people may look at Justin Trudeau and say, well, this is a, you know, a clueless individual who seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think so. No, but, he's cunning. But the people around him are extremely cunning. They're yes. extremely corrupt. They know exactly where the money is, how to shift money around. Uh, and they use public money to... Mm -hmm build huge facilities that they control. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, they are more than happy to throw thousands of cancer patients who need these treatments and diagnostics. They're happy to throw them under the bus and let them oh. die. Of course. So they can control this and find a way to make money out of it uh, because this is medical isotopes are, have become a multi-billion dollar global industry. You know, it's estimated it's going to be 20 or $30 billion worth uh, over the next couple of years. And so, uh, and it's an emerging technology. It's something that took a long time to get here, but now mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it's gotten here, they wanted to control it completely. And Would you say for people, um, like you're a medical doctor, so you can be objective. If someone who like myself, I'm a holistic nutritionist, a detox coach, right? Oh, you're a crazy conspiracy theory theorist. Oh, you know, that's just crazy talk. Would you say in your objective point of view that we have, there's a depopulation agenda. They really are, um, it's overt killing going on, even with remdesivir. I mean, they do not want people to thrive. They want to slowly extract as much money as possible from you. You know, the, the, the tests are making you sick. The solution makes you sicker, kill you slowly, extract your money. Unless you're a really uh, wealthy individual, an elite, and then you get these good treatments that actually save your life. What's the, the, the level of response you would say uh, with what you've witnessed, with the, the deception, the lies, um, the level of malevolence pushing these jabs? Would you say it's that bad? I usually say that there is definitely intent to harm people. Mm -hmm. there, there's no question about that. You know, this is not incompetence. This is not, oops, we didn't know. Uh, oh, please mm -hmm. give us amnesty because we had no idea what we were doing. No, there. I mean, there was absolutely intent to harm. The only, you know, the only question is to what degree, right? And so um, I don't like to use the term depopulation, but... Um, I would say that there was certainly, well, in the um, early stages of the pandemic, there were certainly deliberate deaths 
uh, or how would I put it? I mean, people were being killed deliberately yeah. uh, to drive up the numbers, to drive up the numbers uh, of COVID deaths or alleged COVID deaths. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in long-term care home settings, especially where people were just outright euthanized, murdered. murdered. And so that was the, the purpose of that was to drive up the deaths, to scare the population enough to um, accept the genetic therapies, the, the mRNA vaccines, uh, well, all types of vaccines, really, because they, they gave people the illusion of choice. Mm -hmm. And it was the choice between poison A and poison B. Mm -hmm. Because all of the all of the COVID vaccines, including Novavax, mm -hmm. uh, have very serious problems uh, and very serious health health effects. And so um, I think, you know, the way I look at it is, is that there was definitely intent to kill, and and there's been a, a, very, a much broader intent to harm and probably Thanks. disable large portions of the population. And it seems that all of the COVID vaccine injuries that we are seeing now in larger numbers, the cardiac injuries, the blood clots and the cancers, they already have the drugs, mm -hmm. new drugs ready to go to treat all of those treatments. So, you know, I've, I've recently done a deep dive into um, Eliquis, which is a blood thinner uh, that is... Um, uh, sold by Pfizer and Bristol-Myers Squibb. And Eliquis is the sixth best-selling drug in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's brought in, I think, $18 billion in revenue last year, climbing significantly every single year. And so now, of course, you've got vaccinated people are coming down with all kinds of blood clots in their legs, blood clots yes. in their lungs, pulmonary emboli, strokes. Yes. And they're put on Eliquis. They're put on this expensive, and it's an expensive drug, Yes, that is now the number six best-selling drug oh. in the world. Considering that you know among the top best-selling drugs are the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and Paxlovid. Well, you've got oh. a blood thinner right there, and then in the top six, you know you've got a you've got one of these cancer treatments in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I believe there's also like a, like a cardiomyopathy drug as well for yes. cardiac injury. Well, it's no surprise. Uh, because they are all very cunning and they do, they are extremely intelligent. They've been doing this over and over. They're good at it. There's no surprise in that we're putting through the most um, uh, limiting uh, legislature in Canada with Bill C-47 to also attack natural health supplements. So you won't be able to take natokinase for your clots. You'll be forced down the big pharma path and not just that, just about everything. So they're shutting off natural health because they actually don't want natural health or health. And you're, you're funneled down a one size fits all um, you know, tunnel that is, uh, it's increasingly treacherous. And as more people wake up to the truth of profit before people, um, I don't know what will happen, but I mean, so you, so you, I mean, going back to your story, you had this incredible work and then you were basically forced out. I mean, what happened to you personally, um, over the last few years, I mean, you were doing you know, well-respected, probably like loved and, and appreciated in your province. And then all of a sudden you're not even able to work. Well, they realized that at first, you know, they were hinting that maybe I shouldn't uh, continue the work. And, and, and I didn't take the hint from the director of my cancer center. Uh, this was Dr. Matthew Parliament, who worked for Alberta Health Services as an executive head of the uh, cancer program in Alberta. 
And he said, you know, maybe you shouldn't work on this. You should work on something else. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with all my hundreds of cancer patients that I'm curing? Am I just going to let them go? And it made no sense to me. And so they were dropping hints that they actually wanted to shut it down. And but but you couldn't do it legally because that was actually criminal what they were planning. And so they ended up bribing um, some new staff uh, in my department with uh, positions with uh, elevation to management. So these were technologists that were being promised uh, elevations to management positions at Alberta Health Services if they would file fraudulent complaints against me. So they got some fraudulent complaints. They had an entire team ready to remove me from the workplace. Um, The level they stooped to, people don't realize. If I was not willing, if I was not willing to leave, they were going to, they were going to drag me out by force with a security team. The security team was actually waiting in a conference room next room. I had no idea. And so they said, well, we'll put you on paid leave. And I said, okay, fine. Uh, And so I left willingly. So they didn't have to use security to, you know, escort me out of the building. Uh, They ended up paying me um, my salary for 10 months. So I was getting $50,000 a month for 10 months. So they paid me half a million dollars, but I said, look, I want to go back to work. And they're like, no, 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 you can't go back to work. You can't treat your cancer patients. And we will do some horrible things to you if you even attempt to go back to work. We'll have security. We'll 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 suspend your privileges. We'll come after your license. And and so they were threatening me for ten months. Uh, at the end of, of those ten months, because that was my contract. What they were basically was they were trying to buy me out of my contract. It, and unbelievable! It's most, like a bad most, movie. It, the it, most people... illegal, the most illegal way you could possibly imagine. Uh, and at the end, end of those ten months, I filed a lawsuit. Uh, then they tried to bribe me. They gave me another $400,000 offer on the table with a non-disclosure agreement. They said, look, we'll make it tax-free. Just sign this non-disclosure agreement. You'll never talk about what happened here. You'll never talk to any of your physician colleague. I have this con. I still have this offer. I actually filed it with the Edmonton courts. Good you know, there's, you. Not a, there's not a single media mainstream all alternative media in Alberta that was willing to cover my story. Wow. They were that afraid of the mafia that runs healthcare in Alberta and really in Canada, right? Because it's a, it's a network of bureaucrats and lawyers. Um, And I mean, what they kill people and get away with it. I mean, the only way you can murder someone in Canada and get away with it is through healthcare and being connected to healthcare bureaucracy. If you're a manager in a healthcare system, you can murder anybody and you will get away with it, hundred percent. It, 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 like it's you're covered, because it goes all the way up to the judicial system. The courts are filled with lawyers who used to do this, uh, who used to work for either the provincial health authorities or the provincial colleges where they helped murder patients. That's who our judges are in Canada. In, in fact, I can tell you, our top judge in Alberta. So the Alberta Court of Appeal is the highest court in Alberta. Uh, if beyond the Court of Appeal, there's only the Supreme Court of Canada. The Chief Justice of the Court of Appeal of, of Alberta, this is Justice Ritu Kular, K-H-U-L-L-A-R, was just appointed by Justin Trudeau about six months ago to be the Chief Justice in Alberta. She used to be a lawyer for the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta. She was a senior partner in the law firm that sabotaged, illegally sabotaged my medical license. And she herself presided over the sabotage of Alberta doctors who got in trouble with the bureaucracy and she was helping sabotage their medical licenses. That's how she built her career as a lawyer. Justin Trudeau just appointed her to the highest chief justice position 
in Alberta. She's the top judge in Alberta. These are the people who run our judicial system. That's terrifying. Right? And, and so, so, and, and the reason I think, you know, I, and I couldn't figure this out why this is the case. And I, and I think it, it all comes down to money because healthcare in Canada has become a huge, it has become such a moneyed uh, area. So for, I'll give you an example in Alberta, uh, half, like exactly half of the entire provincial budget, taxpayer money goes to healthcare. So 50%. So you would think it'd be like oil and gas or education. No, no. 50% goes to healthcare. That's $23 billion a year. Well, and, and so there's a, there's a bureaucracy that's tied in, you know, with, 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 with law firms that controls this $23 billion. That's why someone like Jason Kenney wasn't able to really stick to his guns during the COVID pandemic uh, because, yeah. because they basically threatened him uh, with whatever they had on him. And, and he completely backed off. I mean, I, remember he I was noticed the- that like, he seemed to be like what, well, say stereotypically a good guy he was calling out the WF and he seemed, and then what, from one day to the next, it was like, okay, we're pushing to get your jabs, get your jabs. You know, he was even calling out uh, Klaus Schwab with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. I think he had Klaus Schwab's yeah. book on the Great Reset and he said, these people are lunatics. And yeah, then I saw that. he caved on the vaccines, he caved on the lockdowns, he caved on the vaccine passports. Yes. He caved, he caved on the vaccine mandates and we actually mm-hmm. had uh, the largest, because we have the largest health provider in Canada. This is Alberta Health Services. It has 105,000 employees. Wow. So, I, I, I was saying that it seems like, although you have the maybe the freest province, you have the most tyrannical health care, um, or maybe they're all that bad, but I've just seen more examples from Alberta health care. Um, I don't know if you can comment on that, but... Uh, yeah, so we have, so, you know, we're, we're obviously not the largest province, um, but we have the largest healthcare system because, uh, and this this was again a mistake that conservatives made back in two thousand eight, is they consolidated all the all the health authorities into one entity, and that uh-huh. one entity was of course easy to control. And once you know the conservatives lost power in in two thousand fifteen when Rachel Notley's government came in, what Rachel Notley did was she fired anyone who was still a conservative. Um, and she she kept individuals and hired new individuals who would be fully aligned with the Trudeau liberal agenda. She actually waited until Trudeau was elected, and then she cleaned house and put in people who were basically allied to Justin Trudeau. Can I ask you, because I can't understand, do people know that they're actually killing people, or is it such indoctrination ideology that they think they're doing good? Because, like, if she looks objectively, they're shutting down, uh, like, a center that's curing cancer, and instead they're offering crappy solutions that are killing people. I mean, do you think it's these people are so far gone, they they believe that's helping people? Or what do you think is going on with these these like these the level of uh corruption so, and malevolence is unimaginable so i think people have to realize that in medicine it's very much like a military hierarchy and i think most people don't realize this most people think that doctors are independent and and they're you know critical thinkers who you know practice independently and do what's best for the patient that is absolutely not the case no uh, when you're when you go through the through the medical training you go through a very uh, very organized or very 
specific hierarchy. So you've got the medical student who's under the residents, who's under mm -hmm. the fellow, who's under the junior staff, who's under the senior staff, who's under the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the head of the a department, right? And so on. You've got, you've got a very specific hierarchy mm -hmm. and you learn to obey that hierarchy, right? Especially if you want to survive medical school. And, and so you come out of that system where you don't really question the medical establishment. And we saw that mm. in how doctors were the most brainwashed, the most corrupt, and, and really fell for all the COVID propaganda, whether they had good intentions or not. Yes. They yeah. fell in line. And that is the most important thing here is that the doctors fell in line. 99.99% of doctors fell in line. I know. Right? They so fell in line with everything that like there wasn't even like, tell me, is there a group of a hundred or a thousand doctors somewhere who basically said, no, we're walking out of the hospital. We're not going to inject these these vaccines or these gene injections. We are not going to abide by vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm, uh, no. We're not going to abide by the tyranny of mm -hmm. forcing these vaccines on people, you know, who are going to who would otherwise like lose their employment, but we're going to, we're going to disable them instead just mm -hmm. to keep our jobs. You never saw walkouts. No doctors never. anywhere. No, was... you never saw even, you know, four or five doctors get together, let alone, you know, several hundred, which is what would have, you know, really shifted the tide. No, so, I know. So doctors, you know, they fall in line. Now, again, vast majority of them are probably think they're doing good. Right. And even when you look at the management, you know, I've spoken to a lot of Alberta Health Services managers. And in this hierarchy, a lot of these people think they're doing good. That's and, they might, and they might think, look, you know, we're making difficult decisions with limited resources and all, all that. But the higher up you go, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Right? And they're very comfortable with killing patients. Very comfortable. And the yeah. reason they're comfortable is because they are megalomaniacs. Mm -hmm. They basically think they're more powerful than God. They certainly feel they're more powerful than the premier of Alberta or the health minister of Alberta. I mean, they treated the health ministers of Alberta like garbage. Like, don't you even talk to me about anything. Like, just shut up. Give me our my, give me our taxpayer money and go back, crawl back to your legislature. Like, like if you saw the way Alberta health minister Tyler Shandro was treated... He was treated like absolute worthless garbage. And he was the health minister. Uh, so when he came in and he said, oh, I'm going to do this and that. And they, they said, the hell you are. You're going to shut up and you're going to you know, disappear. And mm -hmm. they destroyed him in the media. Uh, they had all kinds of concocted all kinds of um, scandals around him just because he dared to, to touch the doctor's contract which he ended up canceling a month before it was going to expire anyways. And um, because there was a, a lot of the corruption is tied into the doctor's contracts because. Really? How so? Uh, because so I'll, I'll give you an example in Alberta, the, the doctor budget is $5.4 billion. And I have seen a lot of the Alberta health services executives actually steal money from the physician budget that is intended for clinical care. They steal money and they pay themselves five, $600,000 salaries out of the clinical budget. Now, these are administrators, paper pushers who don't do anything, right? So that's oh. that's that's part of how, like they launder the big money, the the, the billions of dollars. They, they Where give, does that they, go, do you think? Like they just give, private well, so yachts? They give, they give, they give multi-billion dollar contracts to various um, projects, right? So you had the big 
Cancer Center in Calgary. That was a $2 billion project. They wanted to build a super lab in Edmonton. That was a $650 million project. NDP had put a, you know, a new hospital to be built in South Edmonton. That was a $2 billion project. This goes to friends, uh, usually you know, Trudeau liberal aligned friends, uh, corporate friends. How right? much graft is there? Like, how much you think significant graft? On it's hard that? to know. I think it's generally accepted in Canada, throughout Canada, that about 10% of healthcare money is lost to fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is basically generally accepted now. I think that number is actually higher. I think it could be as high as 20%, 25%. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they still have to pay the nurses and the doctors, they still have to. Mm-hmm. by the equipment and so on but when you look at the health outcomes every year they get worse even oh though, my geez. even though we spend more money every year the health outcomes are worse the doctors complain that they're not being paid enough and that they're mm-hmm. getting no raises um we get no equipment so i can tell you in radiology for example you know we should we should have a ct or mri everywhere you should be able to walk mm-hmm. in you should be able to walk into a clinic and get an MRI that the same day or next day. The fact that we have a year-long wait list for it's MRI just... or several month-long wait lists for CT is in a in a in a in a first world country. It's pathetic. Is unfathomable. These are not expensive machines. It is. I mean, they really don't care about our health. I mean, there's two things missing in healthcare, and I'll tell you what they are: their health and care. <laughs> Absolutely. It's you know what the way I call it is. Um, it is the best money laundering operation um and it's the only question in canada is is who gets to control it that is the only question who controls the laundering of this money and how much can they siphon off for themselves right that's what politics is about that's what uh the legal system is is about uh it's a lot of people know that this is a money laundering operation and it's just a question of if you're friend of a friend and you can get yourself in there and get a little tiny little sliver of that pie, oh. then you you help keep that system going, right? And and so that's why, you know, you cannot fix a it's almost like going into Sicily and saying, okay, well, let's fix the Sicilian mafia. You don't do that, right? These are established families. I can I can tell you right now, for example, the the registrar of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta, Dr. Michael Cafaro, was a low-level family doctor in a rural town, Hinton, Alberta. But his father was the associate chief justice of the Alberta Provincial Court for decades. He was a top chief judge in Alberta. So he runs the college, and he's part of this mafia that controls the doctors in Alberta, keeps them in line. And if they want to treat a patient with ivermectin or they want to write a vaccine exemption letter, he's the one who organizes the suspension of their medical licenses, right? And he wow. does it with law firms that work for him and so on. Like I said, it's, it's, but the people who are in this mafia, they have, you know, they are respectable citizens yes. who, who go to these galas, these, these, uh, you know, Alberta Cancer Foundation galas, they're rich people, mm-hmm. their families were judges or top lawyers, uh, or, or they were, you know, these are the elites, right? These are sort of the local elites, but of course, they carry out the business for you know an institution that takes its orders now. Really, Alberta Health Services takes its orders from the WHO, from the WEF. It's obviously the globalists that are running it, the show and yes. telling them what to do. That's why when Jason Kenney comes in and he says, hey, we're never going to have vaccine mandates. And then six months later, we have vaccine mandates. Well, it's because Jason it- Kenney wasn't part of the mafia. No. 
no. And there's a lot of leverage points. I mean, there's they have dirt on everyone almost. There's they have not dirt too many and, clean people. In and the other thing is that there's too much money involved. The money, the sums that are involved to the average person are unfathomable. I mean, tell an average person, okay, $20 billion, what does that look like? What can you do with $20 billion every single year? That amount, $20 billion, you know, that's $20,000 million is like, that's a, that's a number you can, you can't almost put, wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. That's the, and that's the amount of money that these people deal with and then decide who gets pieces of that money. Right. And so, so our, our healthcare system in Canada, especially is a money laundering operation that that's what it is. And every province, it looks a little bit different, you know, and every province has its local mafia that manages it. Mm -hmm. But it all ties back to the Trudeau liberals, and uh, they've established a very nice network. What they've done is 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 they've really figured out the left has figured out how to control all the all the levels of bureaucracy. They have brilliantly in the, in the public sector. Yeah, it's disturbing, and I, I noticed. I used to, uh, you know, I still have, but. Um, a recruitment firm for many, many years, decades. And, you know, it used to be that the public sector would be lower salaries, but, the, you know, they had have the pension. Then all of a sudden the salaries started creeping up. Then I noticed the salaries were better than the private sector and the pensions were better. I'm like, what's going on here? And, and you could see there was just more and more layers of bureaucracy coming in. So I don't know how many people we have now um, in the healthcare system in Canada, but, you know, we have poor outcomes. How many, how many prescriptions does each Canadian take on average now? I mean, they take more and more pills and they're sicker and sicker, you know, more cancers, yeah. more autism, and now more people dying suddenly. What's uh, can you quote some stats now after the jab, what inspired you to start tracking all of the sudden deaths? And can you tell people who don't understand what's happening with um, spontaneous abortions. And this is such a tragic story and uh, infant deaths in Alberta. And I just wanted to add that these uh, people are dehumanizing us as well, because they, they, they force the terms not um, fetal demise or just demise. They're taking like the hu human words away from, from actual deaths. I forget what they just wanted. They force people to describe it as, but it doesn't even like, this is a new baby died, shouldn't be dead. Um, can you just elaborate on that story? What, you know, this is a, what you've been doing selflessly for years now with died suddenly. Well, I can tell you, once I rejected the financial offer to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and that I would have kept my license, mm -hmm. and you know, but they wanted me out of Alberta. They wanted me to go elsewhere, but they were they were willing to pay me out and give me mm -hmm. back my license. The the moment I rejected the money, they took my license and held it hostage, and then that's when the threats came: threats to my family, threats to my career, and so on. And they've really held my ho license hostage ever since. Wow. And so publicly, the only way they can show it is they could show it as inactive due to non-payment because I've never had a patient care issue. And but they've really like sort of wrapped it up in, in these like internal legal um, actions and they keep threatening me. They don't want to release my license because they want me to submit and they want me to sign non-disclosure agreements. So when I didn't, uh, that actually gave me a lot of freedom to, to speak out as, as I wish. Uh, back in early 2020, they actually took me to court with emergency injunctions to have me silenced by the court. They actually went into court. If anybody wants the documentation, I'm happy to provide it. 
they asked Justice Terence Claxon in the Court of King's Bench of Alberta to suspend my charter rights to freedom of expression, uh, specifically in regards to being able to talk about healthcare and corruption of, of healthcare in Alberta. Now the judge looked at them and he's like, are you guys like, are you guys insane? Um, and so he threw out the case and he threw out the applications. He was actually not even willing to comment Good. on the charter on the charter rights, them wanting to suspend my charter rights uh, to freedom something. of expression. He actually didn't even comment on it in the decision because he said like, there's absolutely no basis to even bring this application to court. Well, that's, something. that's something that's something because you always hear that something. judges it's are something. against everybody yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that judge was not ready to 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 tack, take that on to himself because that opens up a whole can of worms and it brings more attention to the issue mm-hmm. because I then see. now it would bring the attention of all the lawyers in Canada like wait a minute there's a precedence here that's being set uh and so I think he didn't want the attention so he just right. threw it out. I see um, and so when they lost that, I basically knew I had the complete freedom to talk about whatever I wanted. Uh, and I'm used to like their threats, you know, every now and then they'll send a threatening letter and I'll just throw it in the garbage. But um, so I had the freedom to speak and I was not, you know, in, because I was, you know, that was a you know year and a half legal process that they put me through back in 2020. So I was going to just basically not get involved into what was happening with the pandemic because I thought, well, the pandemic's going to blow over and we're just going to move on. Now, I didn't realize that they actually had a long-term plan with the vaccines. Yes. So they roll out the vaccines uh, and then I see that they're talking about booster shots and they're talking about booster shots every six months and so on. That's when I start sp- started speaking out online. and But I didn't have that big of a following. I only had about 10,000 followers on Twitter, so not a big following. And then I noticed that Canadian doctors started dying. They start young Canadian doctors started dying in their sleep. And that was to me a huge red flag. And oh. they died just after taking their booster shot. I, I so horrific. And yet when you tell some doctors about that, it doesn't sink in. No, no, they, they think it's a made up conspiracy theory. And and so, you know, it started happening on a fairly regular basis. And so I started talking about that. And it was getting a little bit of attention, but it was something that wasn't, um, it was something that none of the media or alternative media would really talk about or were willing to talk about. And then I got into the issue of um, being opposed to vaccinating children 5 to 11 years old, because I had watched them roll out the vaccines in 12 to 19, but... Um, and parents were really not standing up against that. And I thought, okay, well, maybe parents will draw a line in the sand, five to 11 years old. And so I started speaking out about that and that actually killed my Twitter account. So I actually completely lost all social media presence. And at that point I told my wife, I said, I'm done, I'm out. Uh, I'm going off social media. We'll just live our lives quietly. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, no, no, don't like, don't stop speaking out. Oh, good for you. Like, good for her. You know, yeah. Figure, figure something out. And so I ended up getting on Getter where I had, you know, maybe 5,000 followers over time. But, and what people would do is, is they would take my posts and they would throw them on Twitter. And sometimes they would get suspended for bringing my posts. Jeez. 
to Twitter, right? Because there was massive censorship at that time, right? Oh, I, I got kicked off LinkedIn with 25,000 followers, but I rebuilt, you know, you have to just, you can quickly rebuild too. I was posting, I think, Dr. Malone or oh, Dr. Yeah. McCullough's stuff, yes. LinkedIn has been very, LinkedIn actually, if I can tell you, the social media platform that has threatened me the most mm -hmm. by far has been LinkedIn. Me too. And, but it's improved. In the last six months, if you were to go on again, almost anything goes now on LinkedIn. It's oh, I incredible. don't know. They're, they're still deleting deleting stuff that I of, oh, of mine you. that oh, I don't I even like post. You. I repost it from other people and they're still really? deleting it for misinformation. So wow. maybe, they, maybe they've gotten a little bit better, but they're still censoring. Wow. I know. What the, yeah. X is definitely um, greatly improved with Musk. Yeah taking it on and, and, and so you know i was actually banished off social media for a year for trying to you know raise concerns about the vaccination of children 5 to 11 years old i said it cannot be rolled out in kids 5 to 11 years old and um so people may not have seen me back in 2022 all of 2022 because i was suspended off twitter i was banned i was uh -huh. censored right and uh -huh. so i actually had to rebuild at the beginning of 2023, I got my Twitter account back uh, from Elon Musk, and then I then I started my Substack, uh, which has really grown uh, a tremendous amount. And because I'm able to get a lot of information, I started um, actually the first diet suddenly I reported was in in December 31st, 2021, and it was the two Canadian doctors who died in their sleep after taking a booster oh, shot. Right. Okay. This was Doctor Soharap Luchmediel, who was a cardiologist. Uh, in uh, New Brunswick, and Dr. Neil Singdala, who was a family doctor in Toronto, 48 years old, Dr. Wow. Sohrab Luchmedio was 52 years old, they took a booster shot and they died within days in their sleep, so, so which is sad. which is just, which is something that shouldn't happen. No, absolutely right? not. No. And so, you know, I had been tracking the deaths of Canadian doctors and and initially, I was going to sort of stay with just the Canadian doctors. And then then I noticed sudden deaths in high school kids. Mm -hmm. So I was reporting sudden deaths of, of high school kids in Canada. And that was extremely controversial. Uh, I received vicious attacks for reporting the sudden deaths of, of kids. Oh. And at that point, I, I made the decision that, um, and I wasn't really seeing other people reporting it. And I saw that it bothered the pharmaceutical industry a great deal. When, when you're talking about vaccinated kids dying from the shot, mm -hmm. which they said was perfectly safe and effective, they didn't want people to know that kids were dying from this shot. No, of course and, not. And, and, and that's, so it was about, um, it was about March of this year, 2023, that I decided to go like really full on with wow. reporting, reporting died suddenly cases. Uh, because I saw just how much it bothered the pharmaceutical industry and how much they wanted that silenced. Because you see, when it comes to the science, uh, they've already have the major journals bought off. To oh, yeah. Sure that, to make sure that no big paper gets published. So, for example, with doc Dr. Peter McCullough, right now we have the largest autopsy series uh, in the world of, of vaccinated people who died you know, within a month of their vaccination and we did a review of all the autopsies that have been published in the literature, kind of scattered throughout the literature. We've brought them all together, reanalyzed them, and found that about 74% of the sudden deaths of vaccinated people, you know, within the first months of vaccination are from the vaccine. Of course, yes. And so, but 
no one will let us publish it. And in fact, Lancet, they put it up on their preprint server and within 24 hours, they took it down because they realized the implications of what we were publishing. We were basically publishing evidence that the vaccines were killing people or we were trying to publish. Mm -hmm. And they censored it within 24 hours and took it down with no explanation. <clears throat> and so this is the problem that, um, you know, there is so much uh, effort being put in to stop this information from getting out. So the diet suddenly phenomenon where young, healthy people, athletes, athlete, athletes, or just athletically minded people, uh, you know, they take the vaccine and then they die suddenly at some point later on. So this is something that the pharmaceutical industry really, really hates because they don't want other people to see the faces of the people who've been injured and who've died from the vaccines. And and so that is where I feel like I have a calling yes. to, to bring as many of these cases to people's attention as possible. I've reported about two and a half thousand died suddenly cases so far. I've wow. got another thousand sitting on my desk at this very moment, but it takes it takes time to put it out because I want to put out as much information as possible, right? So you want to have, you know, name, location, uh, maybe occupation, as much information on the vaccine as you can. Now we, of course, we're dealing with incomplete information, so we can't always get, you know, the exact vaccine status and so on. It takes time to put this out, so it's it's. I mean, it's basically a full. It would be a full time job for a team of people, let alone right. one person, right? Yes. Well, I appreciate it, and I think it's really um really important to honor these people. A lot of people wouldn't even know that it was the jab that killed them. I know, even in my own small town here, you know, my neighbor who, God bless him, he you know used to call me an anti vaxxer and an anti masker, but I kept a good relationship. Um, despite that, but we always disagreed, but he died, you know, turbo cancer. I mean, you see people all over with now with turbo cancers. And if you, you know, it's very hard to even infer that it might've been, you know, you might've, you know, people getting these sicknesses, could it be job related? Some of them get very defensive. So a lot of people wanted to ask you, you know, given the level of disconnect still, people just won't accept that they were being poisoned deliberately. How many people do you think, um, or could you even estimate, have actually died from uh, these shots or related cancers or, you know, ailments or died or injured worldwide? Because uh, some people say it's a much, much larger number than the 20 million that's been kind of guesstimated. So so that's where it becomes, um, you know, that's where it becomes controversial. Um, okay, I, I yeah. tend to be I tend to be quite conservative in that um, I find it's it's not helpful to put out big numbers that people can't wrap their head around. So you you tell someone twenty million people have died from the shots, they're like, yeah, whatever, sure. Like I would have seen that on CNN, right? I mean, it, it's you lose the person immediately, right? When you throw numbers like that around, and so, but you know, when you look at the excess mortality data, um, you know, this is where Eileen quite heavily on individuals like Ed Dowd, mm -hmm. uh, who has been yes. going over the U.S. insurance data, uh, Dennis Rancor, uh, who's been analyzing data as well, um, and, you know, Ethical Skeptic uh, on Twitter. And the numbers that they are coming out with are very interesting. Um, now, to translate this into a way that a person can wrap their head around it, 
you know, you've got about 10 to 15% of people who've taken the vaccine have had some sort of injury. How many took it in like 5 billion or how many people actually took at least one shot worldwide? The, you know, it's alleged that about 70% of people worldwide have taken the shot. So, you know, that translates to five point something billion, right? Five billion and a a bit, let's say. Now that, that of course includes the inactivated vaccines, which uh, are not as harmful, not nearly as harmful as the mRNA vaccines, right? So you, you, you have to then break it down by vaccine, but Obviously, a lot of people. And and so if you say 10 to 15 percent have had some sort of injury, mm-hmm. and this could be a small heart attack, this could be a little blood clot, this could Pulse be palsy, you know, Pulse palsy, this could be a rash, worsening of autoimmune disease, what have you, right? This could be diabetes. It's not something that'll kill you right away, right? And so a lot of people are living with all kinds of injuries. Mm-hmm. So let's say about 10 to 15 percent, roughly. This also came out of the CDC a V-safe data uh, that, you know, they were tracking on an app. Uh, I I believe about 10 million people entered their side effects into this app. And I I think there there was about 8% that they were forced to release the data. It was about 8% there, but the number's a little bit higher. It's about 10 to 15% have been injured. Now from Ed Dowd's data, it looks like about 1% have been permanently disabled. So these are injuries that have led to the point where the person can no longer work. The staggering, the, staggering. The, if you think of 10 to 15 percent of five, even concert five billion, I mean, 500 million people is about what um, like that's a it's a huge percentage of the population. And they um, suffer in suffering. silence and they yes. suffer in silence. You don't see a lot of people coming on social media and, and talking about their injuries. Well, uh, they were shamed on social media. I mean, even not as well, much. They were now. banned. They were yeah. banned. Banned. Right? Yes. Because because you're basically engaging in vaccine hesitancy, right? And so uh, a lot of the injured people were banned. I mean, you know, these big groups on, I think it was on Facebook, uh, sorry, Facebook, the Died Suddenly group that had 300,000 people and and it was uh, shut down several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's been efforts to obviously silence those who've been injured. Well, and so the- e- even more, I mean, these people suffering, I, I watched a bunch of nurses on Highwire and they said their peer group was shaming them. Like yeah. so you're all, so you all not only are you suffering, but your peer group because of the level of indoctrination, the word vaccines like a magic spell and yeah. they they shame them. And so like, you know, that there's record not only injuries, but record suicides because people yes. are so isolated and alone and the suffering in silence and they don't have a support group. I mean, it's just tragedy on every side. Absolutely. And, and but that, you know, gives you a bit of a at least a, an idea of the scale. And then from Ed Dowd's data, it looks like about one, one to two percent have been permanently disabled. And so that's when the numbers start, start, you know, getting um, quite, quite big, quite big, because, you know, this is permanently disabled means you're out of the workforce. Right? Forever. And yeah. we see we see these we see these numbers and, and people have to be, you know, very um, attentive when numbers do come out, because numbers do come out in the mainstream media. Now they'll attribute it to something else completely, right? So they will. You will see something like, oh, five percent of all healthcare workers have been disabled by long COVID, or ten percent of healthcare workers have been yeah. disabled by long, long COVID. COVID. Yeah, that's their excuse. That's like AKA vaccine injury. <laughs> exactly, but but again, if you don't pay attention, you'd be like, oh wow, you know that long COVID is pretty bad. Like that's five percent, you know. So if you if you pay close attention, you can actually get these numbers from mainstream media. 
Mm. Except they'll they'll spin it. Lie, lie, lie. Exactly. And then then comes the deaths, which is you know probably the most controversial number of all. And when you look at simply excess mortality numbers, which do trickle out here and there, uh, the excess mortality points to about one in thousand people who took the vaccine have died last year. So now we're almost three years into the rollout. So you could say, well, maybe it's one in 500 people have died or one in 300 people have died. You know, in the United States, that equated to about 300,000 excess mortality or deaths last year alone. Right. Reported. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Reported. Yeah. So now it's being talked about. Well, you know, so since the vaccines were rolled out, it's somewhere between six to nine hundred thousand Americans have died. Right. I mean, there's nothing like that. I mean, there's no precedent for, you know, this is beyond, you know, the the wars, the Vietnam War or what have you. Right. Um, Same thing in Canada. When you look at it per population, we are seeing excess deaths, roughly about one in a thousand. So so last year um, in Alberta, we had about four thousand deaths. We have excess deaths. We have about four million population. Right. So it's it's about one in a thousand per year. What right. about the ba- the uh, um, pregnant mothers and babies? I mean, can you speak to that? Uh, sure. That's so disturbing. So I I've had tremendous difficulty in getting any kind of data on the miscarriages, the stillbirths, uh, and and maternal mortality. Now, Dr. James Thorpe, who is uh, a very experienced obstetrician in the United States, is is working on this information, uh, and he says the numbers are horrific, but. Um, you know, there, there's been a huge spike in miscarriages, in stillbirths, uh, in infant mortality, and maternal mortality. Now, you see, you know, one of the most terrible things in this pandemic is that they've told pregnant women that these vaccines are safe oh. throughout pregnancy, which is absolute insanity. You know, I can pull up right now dozens of cases from VARES of congenital malformations. When women take this vaccine in the first trimester, there are congenital malformations of the brain, of the heart, of the limbs, and these are not compatible with life. So these will end up basically being miscarriages. And and that's that's how it gets swept swept under the rug. Do you have any knowledge? Um, I interviewed someone who uh, worked in the funeral home business and they said there was just a flood of infant deaths. They'd never seen anything like it in yeah. all their years. And then all of a sudden it stopped. And then they were told that what was uh, being introduced at hospitals was that when an infant died, they were told that they would take care of it in the hospital. So they literally had their own crematorium or some sort of way. But it wasn't that the babies were then being taken care of in the hospital to to keep it on the low it was just yeah. so evil uh, can you confirm if that might be true or if that you know i i've i've heard this as well um and again i, I can't give you a concrete you know example okay. of this this is where we're really going to need whistleblowers because yes. the it's... areas i can tell you right now um there's certain things that i don't get attacked on i can talk about myocarditis till i'm blue in the face that's okay right? I can talk about blood clots, no problem. Nobody cares, right? The moment I start talking about anything to do with like pregnant women and infants, like stillbirths or miscarriages, 
Um, the moment I talk about cancer and the moment I talk about suicide, that's when I get the death threats and the attacks. Oh, so that wow. tells you what they don't want people to know. They don't care about the myocarditis, blood clot, because they've already told people, yeah, it causes it. You know, it's rare. It's mild. Don't mm -hmm. worry about it. Right. And then when you die, well, too bad. Right. Mm -hmm. No one's going to no one's going to do anything for you. So um, they, they're not worried about those kinds of side effects, even the autoimmune diseases and, and you know, the, the immune issues. They're like, well, the immune see, because the immune system is too, too complicated for most people to grasp. And so when when I talk about immune system damage and then someone says, well, how how is the immune system damaged? Well, it's extremely complicated. The way the mRNA vaccines were, the, the way the mRNA was modified with a pseudouridine, which then, you know, alters the T cell signaling. And you've mm -hmm. got a complete different mix of cytokines and chemokines in the body. And that launches all kinds of inflammatory processes and so on, like the myocarditis. Well, you lose people. People don't understand that. They don't they, even understand antibody enhancement dependence. Yeah. So so, so Big Pharma doesn't care if you talk about the, these kinds of things. No. Right? But it's the things that they hate is, is the stillbirths, fertility issues, pregnant women dying, cancer, and suicide risk because of the neurological uh accumulation and of the lipid nanoparticles and the injury the the um you know the lipid nanoparticles cross the blood brain barrier they start causing all kinds of you know inflammatory issues in the brain and part of that those neurological injuries are not just the physical ones like you know the loss of sight hearing tinnitus mm -hmm. bell's palsy and all kinds of you know multiple sclerosis and so on but there's also mental health uh, impact as well and mental health changes um and so which increases your risk of suicide so that's again something that's forbidden to talk about can but you comment before we move on i'm sorry yeah. to inject it's just there's a lot of people i mean you have so much knowledge i'm trying to people want to know uh, because they have you know in the loosely free to health freedom community that i'm part of you're part of too here in canada and all these freedom groups that are awake to this uh, they've noticed changes in personality with either like a friend or a loved one or a former friend or whatever. Someone who took the shot is now uh, highly charged, angry, irritable. Like there's this negative uh, change in their personality. It's all for the, it's always negative. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll just finish up the, um, because I didn't finish up in terms of the, what happens in pregnancy. So in the first trimester, you get, you know, you get congenital malformations. What's interesting as I was digging through the VAERS system, when you take the vaccine in the second trimester or third trimester, what usually happens is the fetus stops growing within 24 hours. And you will notice that in these reports, um, what they do is the pregnant woman will have an ultrasound a week or two later. And then on the ultrasound, they can tell by the size of the fetus, they'll be like, well, the fetus stopped growing on such and such date. It's like, oh, well, I had the vaccine the day or two before. And, and so what happens probably is that, you know, there's compromise to the blood flow to the fetus. There may be infarcts in the placenta. They're finding, you know, placentas with, with, with all kinds of infarcts and abnormalities, vessel, blood vessel abnormalities, because these lipid nanoparticles easily cross uh, the placenta into the fetus, right? Yes. And so, and a lot of these cases, again, they end up as miscarriages or stillbirths. And so that gets buried. That'll, that, that just ends up being a random misfortune, right? Oh. And so there's tremendous effort to, to really suppress any information about 
well, how many miscarriages, how many stillbirths, um, like you said, you know, fetal demise. We we have pregnant women who are getting cardiac arrests during pregnancy. We have pregnant women who are dying at increased numbers during delivery with all kinds of complications, usually hematological complications. And then we have pregnant women who are dying shortly after delivery in the postpartum period. Most of these deaths are pulmonary emboli, blood clots. Uh, some of them are turbo cancers. And, and so, you know, a pregnant woman will develop a turbo cancer during pregnancy, but because these cancers grow so rapidly, uh, by the time, you know, they initiate treatment and so on, sometimes they wait for a baby to get to a certain maturity so that, you know, the baby has a good chance when they're born, then they start treatment, you know, and in the past, there was no problem waiting because the cancers evolved slowly. These cancers evolved so quickly that these women end up dying and the baby is a few months old. So, you know, you have all these orphaned babies that are a few months old because their mother has died. So maternal mortality is up. And, you know, event, you know, I, I don't have the numbers on this because it's extremely difficult to get numbers. Right. But, it's not, but this is not 10 or 20%. This is going to be, you know, on the order of 100%, 200%. These are going to be big numbers. Wow. And, and and this is the problem. And they keep telling pregnant women that these lipid nanoparticle mRNA technology, that it's safe in pregnancy, and it absolutely is not. But how can they not see the, um, like, people don't understand why they can't see uh, it's so blatantly obvious the level of harm. It's not small. It's massive. Because the information doesn't get out. And and so the hospital will do everything possible to make sure this information doesn't get out. So if you if you have a whistleblower, uh, so I believe there were some whistleblowers in Vancouver. Uh, I think it was Lionsgate Hospital, which reported some staggering number of stillbirths within a very short period of time. Those people were fired. Uh, those people were silenced. They were threatened. Uh, the information doesn't get out because if you want to get this information out, you have to be ready to lose everything. But that's and, the only way forward, isn't it? For all of that's us, the only way forward. And I mean, people I've lost, don't realize I, that we can't stay silent yeah. anymore. It's you know, uh, and, and and the way I look at it is, it's hard to have any kind of pity on a healthcare worker who stayed silent throughout all this because no. And, and again, a lot not. of them are dying. A lot of them are dying. A lot of them are being injured, and it is tragic. And I don't want that for anybody. However, if you were silent during the last three years, um, you're contributing to genocide. You basically were part of the problem. You were you were you were basically on the side of people who were inflicting these injuries and deaths. Exactly. So you, you carry that responsibility as as any kind of healthcare provider, right? Yes. Well, I don't. So, I think I think it extends beyond healthcare because every institution we know is captured. Our media is. So it's up to us, the the we the people, to bring the information to the public um, to stop this, because otherwise it will continue and so, will harm us all. I mean, if they yeah. have the, the WHO amendments, I interviewed uh, James Raguski as well, and you know, and then the passport, all the things that they want to set up, it'll be too late. We really have to get it uh, now. Um, you I know, agree. I agree. I mean, the, the, there, there's no, you can't sit on the fence on this uh, no. because this will only keep escalating. Now you've asked about the, uh, you know, the, the psychiatric impact of the vaccines. And what's interesting when you go again, when you, when you go into the VARES and you look at some of these, and actually when you go into the published literature, I've done a couple of sub stacks on this. 
some people have very uh, shocking uh, reactions to the vaccine that are basically psychiatric. Uh, they get, you know, acute psychosis. They get acute, you know, panic attacks or anxiety attacks. They'll, they'll get auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, and some of them actually turn into suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts. And again, this is not one or two cases. There's dozens of these. Uh, and, and many and many of them have been actually published. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. People, people like the the um the visual hallucinations are actually scary that people report. I've seen videos. I don't know if you have people like looking up and then 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 just falling flat and dying. I mean, looking around like something's yeah. so going there's after that. Them. Now that you know, that is just that they're attributing that to seizures, but mm-hmm. we don't really know. We don't really know what happens, you know during that situation but um the hallucinations can be very very uh very severe and shocking you know people talk about seeing demons and seeing everything on fire and voices telling them to commit suicide or 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 things like that like like this is there's something there's something very dark about this um you know people who have that kind of reaction now that's a reaction that's an immediate reaction. Some people have that reaction immediately after taking the shots. The long-term reactions, however, um, you know, there's been increase in all kinds of psychiatric issues. And you talk about the personality changes. And again, you know, it's it's because these lipid nanoparticles with the mRNA cross the blood-brain barrier very, very easily. And that's the nature of the lipid nanoparticle. It crosses very easily. We know that spike protein accumulates in the brain it accumulates in the brain vessels. It accumulates in the brain parenchyma. So, you know, when it's in the vessels, you end up with these brain aneurysms. Like, so the vessels get damaged because of the inflammatory process, because of the spike protein that's, you know, causing inflammation that weakens the vessel wall. You get aneurysms, then the aneurysms burst. So you see a lot of people collapsing and dying from brain bleeds. Yes. Right? And, and that's, that's like I the thought. athletes. There's how many athletes have died suddenly, would you say, um, in the last few years? Well, uh, it's, it's going to be thousands. Uh, if, if you sort of combine professional and amateur athletes, it, it's thousands. Thousands and thousands. I, mean, I, I myself have reported, you know, probably several hundred. Um, and again, you know, these are soccer players, basketball players, hockey players, football players at all levels, right? So everywhere from the kids, mm-hmm. high school to the college level, you know, university college mandates that mandated the vaccines. And then, of course, you get, you know, the professional athletes in their 20s, 30s and 40s. Retired athletes are collapsing as well. But specifically, you know, going back to the brain bleeds, you know, that is damage in the brain to the blood vessels. But you also get spike protein accumulation in the brain parenchyma as well. And there's one autopsy that was allowed to be published with that identified spike protein in the brain causing inflammation. Now, they're not allowing autopsies to be done. There's not a single place, there's not a single department or hospital in the United States or, or Canada that will allow a doctor to perform uh, an autopsy with staining of tissues for the vaccine spike protein. And then, of course, you have to stain it for the viral nucleocapsid protein to determine, well, was is, is this spike protein from the virus? Because if you get other viral proteins in there, then you could make the claim of long COVID, right? Some some sort of a chronic viral infection and so on. You can absolutely make that case. 
They won't. And, and, and why will they not do it? Because they know that the vast majority of these deaths Lipid nanoparticles are going to be from the vaccine itself. You will only find the spike protein. You will not find any other viral proteins. And that is it for the vaccine. That's game over. That is a Mm -hmm. multi-hundred billion dollar industry done. If I could ask you, and this is just speculation, but as more and more people wake up to the fraud behind all vaccines and flu shots and everything, um, eventually, I mean, I think the the industry will collapse, um, and or at least there will be so many lawsuits because the uh, immunity clauses will be lifted. Even now, we see in Canada, finally, Health Canada, as you say, they have to drip out something because it's so obvious. So they've got this little article that there may be some contamination. Um, you know, do you think we're nearing uh, the so-called tipping point where so many people know someone who's been harmed, that it's coming to a point uh, that it the truth is coming out? There's so much out there now. What do you think or how long will it take until it reaches this mass consciousness where we can eventually like finally stop these shots and then hold those accountable, um, you know, like we did at Nuremberg? I think we're I think we're actually quite close. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, I think we're quite close. Um, and you could see something as simple as looking at the share price of Pfizer or Moderna. What you see is a collapse in the share prices of these companies. And there shouldn't be because last year Pfizer had over a hundred billion in revenue, which was a record you know they're flush with billions and billions of dollars how is it possible that their stock price is is collapsing and the moderna stock price is collapsing what that means is that the big entities are getting out mm-hmm. before the and, lawsuits come in <laughs> and and exactly and, and and but they're getting out in in sort of large in in large enough numbers that the stock price keeps dropping and dropping and dropping it's almost in a free fall mm-hmm and it's not what you would expect from a company that has a safe and effective product that just made $100 billion in revenue last year, right? So, so there's clearly massive problems that, um, you know, obviously, you know, those of us, you know, doctors and scientists and healthcare professionals who have stood up and have been speaking out, you know, I think we're getting a bigger and bigger viewership. Mm-hmm. And so I can tell you, you know, I'm reaching more and more people as well. I'm, I'm reaching millions of people now. Excellent. You know, I wouldn't have reached a lot of people even six months ago. Um, You know, I had one tenth the following six months ago than I have now. So all of us, I think, are reaching a bigger and bigger, you know, portions of the population. And excellent to hear. And and so I think um, and I think the 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 share price specifically and the reason why I'm talking about the share price at all is that there's always additional information uh, that controls a share price that the public doesn't know about, mm-hmm. which means if the stocks for Pfizer and Moderna are crashing that and it's the public consciousness is not there that these products are meant to kill you or at, at the very least disable you, um, that means there is information that insiders know mm-hmm. that would finish these companies. Well, Ed Dowd talked about that as well um, in some of his podcasts of BlackRock getting out of some of these already, you know, um, the biggies. 
so I think so so just to say you know I think I think we're close I think we're getting close I think it's it's now becoming more and more acceptable to talk about injuries Mm -hmm. Uh, it's sort of slipping into even mainstream media here and there Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't have that big sort of awakening or that sort of the big the the big acceptance of of really the scale of this problem but I think I actually think we're we're getting there which you know maybe why you know the we now have a war in the Middle East exactly yeah so you know it's even in Israel you know when I look at it how many people have been injured by by the Pfizer vaccine in Israel it could be hundreds of thousands of people who've been injured. I know there were large groups of vaccine injured that were shut down in Israel. And yet now, you know, you have so many injured people in Israel and no one will talk about it now because now you have a war. Well, I wanted, this is uh, something that's confused me is that Israel of all places, why did they sign the contract and start experimenting on people first they had the worst lockdowns. I saw horrific videos, like having to use these toxic PCR tests, which we both know are both fraudulent as well. And God knows what they put in those things. Um, I, I know countless people have been harmed by those tests. But and then, you know, all of these mandates, they were one of the worst, or if not the worst in the world. Um, so I don't understand that at all. I mean, how well, they could do that to their own people, but th- we know the uh, every there's deep state elements within every country, um, captured it, and to, to various degrees worse. So what's well, it's problem? it's it, again, it's not the people that asked for this; it's the government that did this to them. Exactly. And, and you know the 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 company the the government of Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, I, I saw his interview with with Jordan Peterson and. What was of particular interest was the part that actually was clipped out of the interview that was not put on YouTube. And it was about a four minute segment where he talks about how proud he was that he he was the first to get the vaccines for his population, that he basically handed over the entire medical database of the entire country to the pharmaceutical companies. Yes. And that the next step is actually to get a database, genetic database of the entire Israeli population and get that onto the the medical database and then hand that over to the pharmaceutical companies so they could put it through their AI algorithms and come up with new drugs and medicines and so on. And he said, look how wonderful that will be. We will be a light onto the world and we will be, you know, we will be providing medicines for the rest of the world from the personal private medical information of the Israeli people. Oh, uh, I saw that too. It's horrifying. Yes. And that is absolutely horrific. Well, isn't so, that what they want? I mean, you might this might be more conspiratorial as a question. You don't have to answer it. But don't you think they they generally do want that all human care being handled through AI? That's that they do have an AI model that eventually so. won't even you know yeah. telemedicine and not even real people you know all sort of dehumanized as as if they had their you know their wish come true, we right. wouldn't even be handled by real human beings for our right. health. Which is why the doctors are being encouraged to take as many or, or pressured to take as many shots as possible because they're not going to be needed in the future. That's exactly it. They're dispendable, disposable. 
And and I think doctors don't realize that that no. basically they're going to be replaced. The goal isn't to to keep the doctors healthy. The goal is to replace them with AI, and yeah. much easier to control and 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 so on. But I think you're absolutely right. I think that is kind of the fantasy of these mm-hmm. globalist uh, organizations is to have all of us, all our medical information, uh, you know, on a database and. Um, you know, basically algorithms going through it. One one other interesting thing that uh, Netanyahu said in that interview was he said, we know exactly what this vaccine is doing. Uh, and so the, but he so he because of the, because because everything's being recorded in this digital database. Now, he basically spun it as well, we know that like the vaccine is safe and, and how people are reacting. But he said, we know exactly how people are reacting to the vaccine, which means that they know exactly what the injuries and deaths oh, and wow. side effects look like. Uh, and so they were able to predict probably, you know, how many people would get injured and would die. Um, and, you know, they were proud of this, that they knew no, this information wrong. and they could then give that information to the pharmaceutical companies to tailor the business Um to that and 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 we're seeing it every time I do a Substack article on 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 some type of vaccine injury, inevitably I run into, you know, one day I was doing it on let's say testicular cancers and and I would say okay what's new in in the treatment for testicular cancers? Well, it's some kind of a a drug and again it's either Pfizer is involved or Moderna is is involved. Uh, it's like they always have a drug. And it's not always mRNA, but of course, they're trying to shift everything towards mRNA, but they still have some classical drugs that they're making. Um, But it's always some kind of drug that they have already in clinical trials. And that is what's that is what's skyrocketing. And they are ready to financially benefit from all these injuries that people are suffering from the COVID vaccines. They're going to be benefiting from all of the injuries. So the the model, as I see it, the model is is like this. You basically subjugate the entire population, but you don't do it through war. You don't do it through, and maybe part of it will be, you know, economic collapse and putting everyone on a universal basic income, for example. And, you know, digital currency might probably be part of it. But on the medical front, the subjugation on the medical front is to make you dependent on the pharmaceutical companies. Well, how can they make you dependent on the pharmaceutical companies? They have to make you sick. Mm-hmm. And so they make you sick. That's why they wanted everyone taking booster shots every six months, because that would ensure that in case you were lucky and you got a shot that had degraded mRNA and you missed a bullet in this Russian roulette, well, they're going to load the gun and they're going to make you you know, take it again and again and again until the bullet gets you. And, and so, you know, they want you depend, they want to have the vast majority of the population fully dependent on the pharmaceutical industry and their drugs. And these drugs are going to be expensive. Most people, when I, when I report some of these injury stories, people will say that it's basically cost them all their money to try to get additional diagnostics and you know they can't get it through the public system so they have to go to the private system because they need an answer and it costs tens of thousands of dollars or or expensive drugs that they can't get coverage for like it costs them all their money and now imagine you are so dependent 
you're injured, you're disabled, and you're so dependent on their pharmaceutical industry that you will basically have to spend your resources and the money you've saved up that would go to your kids. You now have to spend it trying to stay alive. It's so they will drain the middle class. They will completely they are drain, now. They're drain doing the middle that. class yeah. of their resources by having to fight these medical conditions just to try to stay alive. It's the the scale of this for people who are just becoming aware of it is it's it's just it's just the horror of it and every community is hurt i mean i've been walking i've probably covered you know i don't know how many 10 15,000 homes door to door in the last few years cuz that's what i decided to do one conversation at a time getting out of my little silo when i was taken off all my accounts the scale of harm is uh, is is just it's it's almost unimaginable but i can tell you the the i think the only people that have an understanding for the scale of the deaths and the injuries. Mm-hmm. There's a few of us who are who are keeping track of of the died suddenly cases where we go through these cases by by the thousands. And the Every scale day. of it is people have no idea how bad this is. It, it is like you take your worst nightmare and it's much worse than that. Yes. Um, and, and and so we get a sense for the scale of this, and then people like Ed Dowd. Uh, Dennis Rancourt, uh, you know, ethical skeptic, the, the guys who who sort of crunch the numbers and the data on, on sort of a broader scale, I think they also have a sense of how bad this is. And I can mm-hmm. tell you the vast, vast majority of, of the population, even those who are awake mm-hmm. or partially awake, um, I think have no concept of just how bad this is. It is it is an like it is an absolute c- catastrophe. I've had people who say they believe it's in the billions, the injuries, like, um, and they have, they it's, have it's a possible. data. Yeah. yeah so it's possible. Or under again, a bill, just under a billion, like definitely about 600 million would be conservative is what they've said to me. But, and, and again, so that, know. that works out to about the 10% that I mentioned earlier, you know, if, if yes. we say, let's say five and a half, let's say five and a half billion people have been injected with the shots you assume about 10% have had some kind of a serious injury. That's about five, 600 million right there. So yeah, and again, think... most, most of these people are unfortunately staying silent. I can tell you the doctors, they stay silent. Um, I know. I've given I know they want to keep their the jobs. Liability. I know they want to, you know, keep their jobs. You know what? I have, I have a mortgage to pay too. I have kids to feed too. And I, I had to give everything up. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it, it's, but like, are are people really? I think it it'll come down to are people willing to die for this? And it seems like a lot of people are willing to die, uh, or they will sort of go to their graves, kind of you know, saying, okay, I, I I don't hear anything, and 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 you know, woe is me, I was unfortunate to have these you know horrific injuries, but I I I can't wrap my head around why most people are willing to die for this thing. Um, you, do you, I just want to clarify the audience because some people who follow me are like, you're they think you might be saying willing to die, stand up and speak out, but you're actually saying oh, willing no, just no. to stay silent about what's willing going to on. die while staying silent. Yes. And then uh, the people who are just willing to stay silent, who know what's going on because they think that's a safe bubble. Oh, I'll just protect myself while the rest of the world goes to, sh- you know, goes to the shits. 
that's not going to work increasingly. We're being, you know, it's going to be, you've got to get on team humanity or it's team death, you know, the death yeah. cult. You're going to be either connected to one or the other. So let's finish up here. It's been pretty dark, but very interesting. And I think you've given good data for people who are either just waking up. It's a big slap in the face, but it's better to be awake to what's going on. So maybe you don't get that next jab, or maybe you, if you, um, if you haven't done anything, you, you get involved to stop this. What do you see happening over the next few months and how could we take back our sovereignty? Can you, can you see a future with a integrated medicine model that works for the people? Um, do you see any hopeful things happening besides, you know, health candle leaking out information and, you know, some of the stock prices, what else is positive on your front? Because we know a lot of these conditions can be cured. Maybe I believe all of them, um, like even sound the if therapy and alternative healing. And my, you know, I talked about rife technology. For, there's incredible healing technology, even alternative repurposed drugs. For goodness sakes, even hydroxychloroquine. We know that the um, founder of you know Apotex was brutally murdered, mm -hmm. and wasn't it a coincidence that hydroxychloroquine was is known to cure COVID or whatever? A COVID was. Um, so final thoughts before we leave you and then tell people how they can subscribe to your Substack, and, uh, you know, where they can find you on Twitter as well. Certainly. So I think the most important thing is to not take any more shots. Uh, because I do believe that, you know, the, the body has a lot of resilience. And you have people who are walking around with five, six shots, and, and they seem fine, right? And and they haven't had any kind of reactions. So I think, you know, some people have more resilience uh, in their body than others. Um, but the most important thing is to stop taking the shots, because they want to roll out new mRNA vaccines. The ones that are coming on the market soon are going to be the RSV vaccine. Uh, this will be targeted for, um, I'd say, reproductive age women, uh, because they, again, you know, it's the babies that, that get the RSV. And so they'll be targeting women with this one. Um, and in influenza vaccines, of course, influenza, they want to make mRNA vaccines available as well. So this is not going to stop unless people stop taking these shots, mass noncompliance with this technology. And it's the entire platform is bad. It's not just the COVID vaccine. It is the entire lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform. Is it, it does not only does it not work, but it has horrific a horrific side effect profile. So people need to stop taking the shots. I don't care if there's a pandemic and they tell you that fifty percent of the people are dying from the pandemic and you have to take the new mRNA shot. You must not take another mRNA shot. Period. Can I ask you as a medical professional, as a doctor and MD as well, because I've you know interviewed even MDs now who are looking at all vaccines and even, you know, uh, Dr. Byron Bridal, I co-presented with him at a conference a few years ago, is just now waking up and wondering if any vaccine is actually that safe. Are any of them effective? I know some doctors, even tetanus shots are saying it's, they're, it's a, it's, it's uh, decreasing fertility rates in the human population and has no benefit. Um, you might not be uh, willing to comment on all vaccines, but I know myself, I'm not getting injected with anything ever um, uh, while I'm alert. And uh, there's a lot of people who feel the same now. There's huge mistrust 
you know, it, it's 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 difficult to be a parent now, uh, having to make these decisions because all trust has been lost. All and, trust, yeah. and, and I can tell you, I started questioning the HPV vaccine, mm-hmm. and and uh, that was where I started sort of questioning things. And I had the experimental H1N1 swine flu um, vaccine. I, I was forced to take it as a as a medical resident. I didn't have a choice. This was in Quebec in in two thousand nine. Um, now, okay, I had the choice, but I wouldn't be here today as a physician. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to yeah. sort of, I guess, weigh the risks and benefits. And, you know, fortunately, I, I, I seem to have survived that one fine, but, um, it, people have to question everything, unfortunately. And, and yes. that, that is where we're at right now. Um, I can't tell you, I can't tell you comment on the classical vaccines as, I, as I'm not an expert in that. I can tell you that I would, I would certainly question if i had kids right now i would be questioning and and looking more into it right now uh, mm-hmm. rather than just accepting that yes you know these are safe and effective and so on as i would have in the past so so at least i'm at that point where exactly. i would definitely be questioning and seeing okay is there any benefit or you know do unvaccinated children who've not taken any va- childhood vaccines you know do they really do better long term and, yes. and when you look at evidence. Steve Kerr's as, as information with the Amish, for example, like that's a startling um, comparison of unvaccinated children in a large study who have don't have autoimmune, don't have ADHD, don't have ADA, don't have exactly. cancer. So, so but you see, so this is something that now parents have to face and look at, mm-hmm. uh, because I think we're at the point where where actually the best choice might be not to take any of the childhood vaccines at all. And it's it, it's it's unfortunate we've completely lost the trust with with the medical establishment because it it has been so thoroughly corrupted, right? Or parents can look, let's say, go back to what the vaccine schedule was in the seventies or sixties, right? Mm-hmm. Before before they got the blanket immunity, uh, was it in nineteen eighty six or something like that? So with Reagan, yes, yeah, with Reagan. So um, you know that's that's something that that parents have to tackle with now in terms of the COVID vaccine injuries and so on, there's many things people can do. Information is readily available. You know, I talk about uh, a three-day water fast. You can make it a four-day water fast or five-day water fast. But, you know, the fasting can actually clear some of these damaged cells, spike protein damaged cells from your body. You know, it can try to reboot your immune system by clearing out some of the damaged immune cells Mm -hmm. because the damaged immune system is a source of a lot of these problems. Uh, even the myocarditis, a lot of the neurological problems, of course, the autoimmune diseases, and even the cancers. The cancers are probably a consequence of a severely damaged immune system. And there may be additional issues as well. You know, the interaction with the spike protein and, and P53 tumor suppressor genes, BRCA1, uh, and some genetic, uh, you know, mutations and so on. Maybe it interferes with DNA repair. There, There's other issues when it comes to cancer, uh, the turbo cancers, and that is a complicated topic. But people can do simple things like a three-day water fast to try to clear out some of this damage, to stimulate stem cells uh, to be produced. And then, you know, it, it's it's a question of detoxifying the spike protein, yes. trying to and get it out, just trying to get it out of your system, right? And there's a lot people can take. You've got the natokinase, Natokinase, bromelain, serapeptase, lumbrokinase, these are enzymes 
naturally derived enzymes, you know, natokinase from fermented soybeans, bromelain from pineapple plants that seem to break down the spike protein throughout the body, seem to break down blood clots, seem to break down amyloid, which mm-hmm. are these abnormal proteins that might accumulate in some vaccinated individuals, you know, that could lead to early Alzheimer's uh, or other neurological problems, uh, seem to even break down prions, which yes. again, it's amyloid and, and prions. There are sequences in the spike protein that end up making those abnormal proteins. Uh, they are within the sequence of, of the spike protein itself. Uh, so that if you only translate a, a certain portion of it, you you end up with these abnormal proteins, amyloids and prions and so on. So uh, breaking down these abnormal foreign proteins, right, is, is a big part of the detoxification. Yeah, absolutely. And I recommend anyone to try, you know, any of those. And yes. then, and then, you know, then you have to look at, it's always good to look at things that bind the spike protein and ivermectin, I think is the most popular one and the most well-known. Ivermectin has tremendous, ivermectin is fascinating because not only does it have, it's an antiparasitic, but it has tremendous antiviral properties. So yes. it'll be good for future pandemics. It'll be good for influenza H5N1, Marburg virus, Nipah virus, uh, yes. you know, maybe a weaponized Ebola. You know, you never know. It's ivermectin seems yes. to have function against all of those. Can so you get it in Canada legally now with through a physician? Is the one there's no physician in Canada that will no. that will and, sign um prescription. No, and also people know NAC and quercetin is also, you know, still yeah, so, so was, yeah, that's another one. But yeah, what so I was I, getting I was getting ahead. to those. So so the other the other things that bind the spike protein, quercetin is another big one. And quercetin was readily available. If you can't, you know, if you couldn't get ivermectin, you could get quercetin. Now, I suggest uh, some kind of a maybe a bioavailable form because uh, the bioavailability is not very high. Yes. So, I mean, I have I have a thousand milligrams that I that I use that I take daily. Uh, uh, yeah. But there's also um, there's also like a liposomal form yes. as well that might be more bioavailable. So you could get those. It's a little bit more expensive, but not that much more. Or at least while it's still available in Canada, because it's not going to be available for much longer. No, exactly. I'm stocking up. Um, and, I wanted- and things like things like quercetin, olive leaf, black cumin seed, also known as nigella sativa. You know, oh. all of these block the spike protein, but they also have anti-cancer properties. You know, they are also antioxidants. So adding an antioxidant to your regimen or several antioxidants, I think is also very important, like NAC, N-acetylcysteine, Yes. White pine, white, white pine needle tea. White pine is very tea. good. Too. Very good. Dandelion, too. dandelion root. Exactly. Uh, is another one. Um, and, and so there, there's a lot of ways you can detox and people can sort of put together their regimens. I think it's a more of a trial and error to see what works for you because not everything works for everybody. Right. And so yes, people have found relief with different types of regimens. This is where people have to be proactive, right? People want a solution, a quick solution, like Give me the regimen, you know, yes. your doctor detox me for my spike protein. No. It, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, you have to find what works for you, what works for your body, because, you know, everyone got different shots. Everyone is producing different amounts of spike protein. This is a genetic therapy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so no one knows. Every, every individual might be producing different 
amounts or quantities of spike protein from different parts of the body, exactly. right? So the solution is going to be slight, might be slightly different for, for every person. Yes, I know. And I've been going, uh, taking a deep dive into this, like you, my business was greatly affected. So learning about detox, educating people, and it's a lifestyle thing. So like you can work in infrared sauna if you have access, you know, any way to sweat, any way to get sunlight even is very healing. I mean, there's simple things, cold therapy works, exercise, you know, a clean diet, obviously alkaline water, you know, even baking soda. I interviewed Dr. Uh, Robert O. Young. I mean, if you have a Bob's Red Mill, a high quality baking soda, it's so alkaline. There's uh, reviews for cancer. I wanted to ask you if you can comment on fenbendazole. It's becoming more pu- publicly aware because uh, it crosses the blood blood brain barrier, unlike ivermectin, which does not. Apparently, that's what I heard, and they have been um, having tremendous success. At least there are great studies for cancer. I don't know what you, if you've if you've um, encountered that because you can still get that quite readily in Canada. Yes. So um, in terms of these turbo cancers, these aggressive cancers that arise in vaccinated individuals, young people are getting them. Uh, People in their 20s, 30s, 40s are presenting with stage four cancers uh, after having their COVID vaccines. And it's, you know, it's it's it'll show up in a matter of months, but it can show up years later as well. And these cancers, they grow very rapidly. They're very aggressive. They spread very aggressively. and the oncologists, once they use up their, their regimens of chemo, chemo radiation and maybe even some immuno, new immunotherapies, these cancers don't respond typically no. to conventional treatment, which means there's there's a completely different process going on than from cancers that we saw prior to the COVID-19 vaccines. And again, it makes sense that if you introduce genetic um, tr- you know, treatments or genetic... Um, modifications really to people you're going to see you know uh, a, a new phenomenon and we're seeing it with the cancers this is a brand new phenomenon so people are left with no no tools uh once the doctor is exhausted his chemotherapy regimen he says throws his hands up and says i'm sorry there's nothing left i can offer you well there are um you know these these drugs, especially these anti-parasitic drugs like ivermectin and fenbendazole that have very um, well-established and documented and studied cancer properties, uh, they act on the cancers in numerous ways. Everything from the initiation of the cancers to the growth, to the progressions, to the metastasis, they interfere with metastasizing of the cancers. Uh, They induce apoptosis through various mechanisms, signaling mechanisms. It's fascinating. So ivermectin, high-dose ivermectin, and we're talking, you know, one milligram per kilogram or two milligrams per kilogram per day. These are high doses. This is much higher dose than what people were using as an antiviral for COVID-19. So, you know, you see these 12 milligram pills that people were taking, for example, uh, mm. COVID-19, right? I think it was 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. So you've got a 60 kilogram person, you know, they might take a 12 milligram pill, right? Well, on a, on a cancer regimen, a high dose regimen wouldn't be 12 milligrams, would be 120 milligrams. Wow. A day, right? And that's what some some people anecdotally are using to treat 
and cure stage four cancers, these highly aggressive cancers in vaccinated individuals. Ivermectin is FDA approved. Now, good luck finding a doctor who's going to prescribe it for you, but people have, I've actually had, I've been contacted by a US doctor who was willing to prescribe a high dose Ivermectin regimen for their patients. So you could find a doctor in the States, you're not gonna find one in Canada, but all I can say is you can get creative and get your hands on the ivermectin that you need. Okay. Um, fenbendazole, fenbendazole is another antiparasitic, also tremendous anti-cancer properties. It um, now fenbendazole is not approved for human use, although it there, there's been human clinical trials, and they basically we don't know what happened to them because. Again, it it worked, it, it, it worked too well, so they had to get well. rid of them. <laughs> exactly, it was it was too cheap and it worked too well, right? And exactly. So, wow, so, we better get rid of this one for them. Give them something exactly. that will so, make them worse. <laughs> and again, you know, fenbendazole. If 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 you can you can find it, you can get it, but you just have yeah. to understand it's not FDA approved mm-hmm. for human use. Now, there's another. There's a very uh, very similar. Uh, almost, I mean, it's it's in the same family called mebendazole, which actually is approved for human use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit more expensive. So, um, you now, know, I've also, I was I've just going to interject yeah. because you may not be willing to tackle this, but a lot of people have come to the conclusion that cancer, because these anti-parasitic drugs are hugely successful they're starting to really wonder is cancer just a parasitic infection i mean because uh, a lot of people are questioning where we won't go down that rabbit hole with viruses but um a lot of people are questioning what is a cancer growth and and some people are are wondering if it is actually parasitic in in its origin these these growths and even with these the huge clots they're finding in the uh through the autopsies um i don't know if if that's something for another day but uh well i can tell you i mean i i've I've seen you know i've seen probably thousands of of pathology slides of cancers Mm -hmm. and there's no parasites there um but you know, I, I, I under, you know, I, I know where this is, I know where this is coming from, and I know that it, it's, it's, um, it, it, then again, it comes down to, um, the loss of trust, right? So, so if I say, well, look, I, I've seen pathology slides, and 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 there's never been parasites on those slides. You know, there's been abnormal cells, mm-hmm. and, and cells that you know you could tell that they are replicating very aggressively and we you know we do staining for that um to 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 show that you know mm-hmm. the, the nucleus and so on uh, there's never parasites on these but again people will say well you know how can i trust uh, any of these doctors and, and scientists and so on again it's it's an issue of, of trust trust has been lost right so it's yes absolutely it's now, now there are parallels so i think what's interesting is that why are the anti-parasitic drugs working for cancer is what everyone wants to know then, right? There are, I w- the way I would describe it is that there are parallels in the way parasites behave and in the way cancers behave. Mm-hmm. And spread. Okay. Right? There, are, there are parallels 
uh, on the pathophysiological level. I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that, right? That sounds good. That is actually already something for people to, you know, work on. So listen, I, I mean, I can't thank you uh, enough for your work. I've, I'm one of your, I follow you every day, try to honor the people who've been, um, I was going to say murdered by these, uh, this, what's going on. And I think it's just great that you're, you're doing it. And I think it is raising awareness, what all of us do, um, to spread awareness. And most people I talk to have sacrificed or lost something, but they wouldn't have it any other way. Once you get involved, you know, this is the most important thing we'll ever do. So yeah. how can people continue to fall? Where are you on, on X or Twitter now? And what's your Substack, Dr. Mackis? Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. Um, on Twitter, I can be found uh, at MackisMD. That's M-A-K-I-S-M-D. Uh, on Substack, it's macsmd.substack.com. And, uh, you know, the best way people can support me is, uh, you know, I don't do any kind of sort of fundraising or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, it's I do appreciate support on Substack. I have a paid subscription. It's $5 a month. It's the lowest that Substack will allow. And, and that's, you know, I appreciate the financial support through the Substack um, so that I can, you know, pay the bills and keep the lights on and and, and keep the work going. Um, because it's, it's, it's hard, you know, those of us who've had everything taken from us, Yes, it's hard. I have two small kids. I still have to, you know, put food on the table. And, you know, sometimes I get hit with these accusations like, well, you should make everything free. It's like, okay, well, who's going to feed my kids? Are you going to yeah. feed my kids? Right. Like, like it's like, it's okay for doctors who are pushing the vaccines and killing their patients by the hundreds. It's okay and getting incentivized to do so, right? They and, get and on top bonuses. of that being incentivized, but it's okay for them to get paid their salary. But when it comes to then treating the injured and dying, um, then I have to do it for free, right? Because it's it's for the good of humanity. So like I have to live too, you know. I hundred percent um, agree. Yes, I mean. So, I, so, but that's that's you know, and I truly appreciate. I've had incredible support, uh, and and I yes. truly you know appreciate the support that I've I've gotten uh, on my Substack. So macusmd.substack.com. I'm even on Instagram, uh, wmacusmd, and what I do is is once I've I've posted died suddenly cases on Twitter. Uh, some people prefer the Instagram platform just because yes. of ease of, of use. Uh, I do end up putting those cases on Instagram. Okay, and so then great. people can just, uh, if they, you know, if they don't like Twitter or they don't want to go on Twitter, they can just go on Instagram. And so you'll notice, like, you know, I have over two and a half thousand cases, individual, you know, injuries and deaths on Instagram. And I'm going to wow. keep reporting them because, you know, again, in many of these cases, if I don't do it, nobody will. And and I oh, think, you know, it's you. it's all of these deaths. There's nothing that the pharmaceutical company would love more than to have all of these deaths swept under the rug as if you never existed. Exactly. You know, a little, a little, a tiny little, you know, blurb in the obituary will miss you. And then it's like you've never existed at all. And oh. that is what they want is they want these people forgotten. They don't want the families to fight the way Dan Hartman is fighting yes. for his 17 year old son Sean Hartman who died one yes. month after taking the Pfizer vaccine he's yes. been screaming trying to wake parents up he's on social crazy. media he's fighting back he's just filed a 35 million dollar lawsuit yes. against uh, the Good government and, and the and the health professionals this is the way people have to fight back 
They you do. Know. They can't. Don't, don't they, accept. They, don't accept the injuries, and and don't accept the deaths of your loved ones either. You know, these no. are crimes against humanities. Absolutely. Uh, just people have to, you know, push back and fight, fight for themselves, fight for their loved ones. And our future of of humanity as well, I think, is at stake if this was to continue. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Much appreciated. Thank, thank you, you very much. Bye.